Hey guys, I am following the Lori Daybell trial and I am currently going to the courthouse in Madison County and watching the live stream almost daily. So I am recapping the trial, but I didn't want to put a bunch of these episodes into our podcast, True Crime Exposed. I didn't want it to get all filled up with episodes on Lori Daybell when you guys know we cover a new case every week and I just didn't want it to get really messy or confusing inside of there. So I decided to start a second podcast that is a series on the Lori Daybell case. It's called It Ends in Idaho and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. You should be able to find it on most streaming platforms immediately, but sometimes it takes a while for Apple Podcasts to upload a new podcast. So with that, I'm going to put the first couple episodes here in our feed so that you can listen to them right now. It Ends in Idaho is a podcast following the trial of Lori Vallow Daybell. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Kayla Waters, in correlation with my other podcast, True Crime Exposed. I have followed this case closely as it all came to an end here in Idaho, just 30 minutes north of where I grew up and currently live. I will be attending most days of Lori Daybell's trial at the Madison County Courthouse in Rexburg, Idaho. This is the area which the crimes took place, and this is the only location outside of Ada County that has access to the live stream of this trial. Each day, I will recap the trial for you here. Welcome to It Ends in Idaho, the Lori Daybell Trial. The trial of Lori Daybell, aka Lori Vallow, is underway here in Idaho. This is a trial that the nation has been waiting years for. The case is one that most of you listening already know. Since the news of Lori's missing children was made public back in 2019, the nation was captivated and the story spread like wildfire. Lori's day in court has been a long time coming, with a multitude of delays. Lori Daybell is charged alongside her husband, Chad Daybell, and they were set to stand trial together up until just one month ago. In March of 2023, Judge Stephen Boyce officially severed Chad and Lori's trials. Chad's will now be held at a later date as he waived his right to a speedy trial, but Lori did not. It's ironic that Lori demanded her right to a speedy trial after she postponed the trial for years, as she would not cooperate with the court system. She was deemed incompetent to stand trial over and over again. Here in Idaho, mental instability cannot be used as a defense. Not guilty due to insanity is not a thing here. So trial was postponed until Lori was finally deemed stable enough to attend her own trial. If you don't know the details of Lori's case or you need a refresher, you can check out a four-part series I did on this case over on my original podcast, True Crime Exposed. I covered the murders of Charles Vallow, JJ Vallow, Tylee Ryan, and Tammy Daybell on episodes 17, 18, 19, and 20. 
keep in mind, this was in the very early stage of my podcasting career. So while I cringe at my intro and I'm slightly mortified by how slow I talk in some sections, these episodes do actually contain great detailed content and a lot of information that you probably haven't heard. I dove deep into the backgrounds of Lori and Chad's childhood and their younger years. I covered the lives of their victims extensively as well. These are great episodes to learn about this case. Here on this podcast, It Ends in Idaho, I will be recapping each day of trial for you. Judge Boyce ordered that this trial would not be broadcasted publicly. The trial was moved from Madison County in Rexburg, Idaho to Ada County in Boise, Idaho. But there has been a courtroom set up in the Madison County Courthouse where they are live streaming the trial. I will be watching this trial live almost every day, and then I will use my notes to detail each day of trial here for you guys. Tylee Ryan, JJ Vallow, and Tammy Daybell's lives all came to an end here in the small religious town of Rexburg, Idaho. Lori Daybell's crime spree also came to an end here in Idaho, and now her trial will come to a conclusion here in Idaho. I'm not a juror in Lori's case, so I can already have an opinion formed from the research I've conducted. While I will listen with an open mind, I won't lie to you about where I stand. I do believe that Lori is guilty of the crimes she is charged with. Legally, she is presumed innocent until a verdict is read, but I hope that verdict honors the lives of Tammy, Tylee, and JJ. I hope that justice will be served when Lori's life will also end in Idaho. The death penalty has been taken off the table in this case by Judge Boyce, but if she's given a life sentence, her free life will have come to an end here. She would never escape Idaho. She will never live the child-free life her and Chad dreamed of in Hawaii. She will live the remainder of her life here in Idaho. On April 10th, 2023, court is in session after a long previous week of jury selection. I arrived at the Madison County Courthouse at 8.20 a.m., about 10 minutes before day one was set to start. We all sat silently in the historic courtroom for 40 minutes, staring at a screen that reads, the host will have you join shortly. Finally, the live stream connects and the trial has officially started at 9.10 a.m. Four minutes later, the jurors are led into the Ada County Courthouse. Judge Stephen Boyce of Fremont County is presiding over the trial. Fremont County is just outside of Rexburg, Idaho, in the St. Anthony area. Rexburg is in Madison County. Lori Daybell had lived in Rexburg, Idaho, while Chad Daybell lived in nearby St. Anthony. As the jurors take their seats, Judge Boyce reminds them of the huge task they have on hand. He references Thomas Jefferson, who said that a jury trial is the base of all liberty. Judge Boyce tells them that unless they have served in the military, this may be the highest civil duty they have performed. The live stream screen I'm watching is split into four sections. One camera faces the judge, one faces the courtroom where you can see the defense table and the podium where the attorneys question from, one camera faces a projector screen where slides are shown, and one camera is directed just above the podium where pictures of evidence are presented. 
Lori sits between her defense attorneys, Jim Archibald and John Thomas. The prosecution consists of attorneys Rob Wood, Lindsay Blake, and Rachel Smith. Judge Boyce explains to the courtroom that Lori Daybell has pled not guilty. The state of Idaho has the burden to prove that she is guilty. The defendant doesn't have to prove her innocence. In fact, she doesn't have to provide any evidence at all. The jurors are instructed that if they have any reasonable doubt based on reason and common sense, then they must find the defendant not guilty. The jurors are reminded that they are not allowed to discuss this case among themselves or with anyone else in person, electronically, or through social media and email. After the jurors are sworn in, Judge Boyce addresses them to joke about the $10 per diem they receive each day, telling them to be sure not to spend it all in one place. Then jury instructions are read to them for a second time. The jury is not to draw any conclusion of guilt or innocence based on Lori's choosing to testify or not to testify in her own defense. Boyce states that testifying for yourself is a constitutional right that a defendant will make with the advice of their counsel. The decision of guilt or innocence is to be made solely on the evidence provided in the courtroom. Sympathy and prejudice cannot play a role in this decision. The jurors are also told that they can take notes, but they do not have to. However, once in deliberation, they are instructed to not be overly influenced by the notes of their fellow jurors. The jurors must keep an open mind, and they are not allowed to form or express an opinion until final arguments are complete. No discussion will take place between jurors until the case is handed over to them in deliberation. These jurors are not sequestered, so they are allowed to return home at the end of the day. If anyone talks about this case in front of them, they are instructed to state that they are a juror and that it is unlawful for them to discuss the case. If someone refuses to stop talking about the case, the jurors are instructed to report it to the bailiff. The jurors are not allowed to read, listen, or watch any outside sources reporting on the case. An affidavit will be signed each day of trial by every juror to confirm that they have been following the rules. Once this introduction into day one is complete, the charges in the indictment are read after Judge Boyce reminds the jurors that the indictment is not to be considered as evidence. It is only a list of the charges being brought forward by the 7th Judicial Court in the state of Idaho versus Lori Noreen Daybell, a.k.a. Lori Noreen Vallow. The case number is CR2221624, and the crimes are said to have been committed in Fremont County. Lori is alleged to have participated in the first-degree murder of her daughter, Tylee Ryan. This murder is said to have been a part of a common scheme or plan executed in Fremont County, Idaho. The state alleges that Lori did aid and abed in the crime. If she was not present for the murder, then she advised and commanded another to commit the crime, and she did so with malice and forethought. The state says that this crime was premeditated. The second charge is conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and grand theft by deception. Lori's co-conspirators are said to be Chad Daybell, her current husband, who is also being held behind bars awaiting his own trial. And the other co-conspirator is Alex Cox. This is Lori's brother who is now deceased. 
The conspiring to commit these crimes is alleged to have taken place between January of 2018 and January 15th of 2020 in the state of Idaho and elsewhere. Lori is said to have knowingly and willingly agreed to commit the murder of Joshua Jackson Vallow and commit grand theft by deception. Her next charge is for the first-degree murder of her adopted son, Joshua Jackson Vallow, a.k.a. J.J., the crime took place in 2019 and is alleged to be a part of a criminal transaction in Fremont County. Lori did aid and abet in this crime. If she was not present, then she is believed to have advised, encouraged, or commanded another willingly with malice aforethought. The fourth charge Lori faces is conspiracy to commit first-degree murder in the death of Tamara Daybell, Chad Daybell's late wife. Other defendants in this charge include Chad Daybell and Alex Cox. Chad will face these charges at a later date. Alex is deceased. Lori is alleged to be a part of a continuous scheme, which resulted in the decision to murder Tamara Daybell, a.k.a. Tammy. The last charge is grand theft. This crime was committed in Madison County and Fremont County. The state alleges that Lori wrongfully and with deceit obtained property of another, this property was the social security benefits allocated for Tylee Ryan and J.J. Vallow following the deaths of their fathers. The state claims that these funds were not Lori's property. Since the kids had been deceased when Lori used them, the funds remained the property of the government. Again, Lori Daybell pleaded not guilty to all of these charges. Once the charges are read, the part of trial I was anxiously awaiting now starts. From the prosecution team, Lindsay Blake will give the state's opening statement. At the conclusion of her statement, the defense team has the option to give their own opening statement before the state presents the rest of their case. Or the defense can choose to wait and give their opening statement at the conclusion of the state's case before the defense presents their evidence. Lindsay Blake stands and starts her statement. Quote, money, power, and sex. That's what this case is about. The defendant used money, power, and sex, or the promise of those things, to get what she wanted. She wanted money, power, and sex. It didn't matter what obstacle she had to remove to get what she wanted, be it a person or thing. This intro gave me chills. It's exactly as I've always seen it. Sure, there is an aspect of religious extremism in this case, but I always felt like that was more of an excuse to justify her mission for these things that the prosecution just laid out, money, power, and sex. Miss Blake goes on to describe 17-year-old Tylee Ryan as a vibrant young woman who had her whole life ahead of her. Tylee was so close to entering adulthood where she could make her own way in this world. Quote, who knows what she would have become. It's explained that Tylee had already gone through the heartbreak of losing her father, Joe Ryan, and because of this loss, she received social security benefits. Tylee had the money that Lori wanted, now Tylee is gone. Next, Lindsay Blake talks about seven-year-old J.J. Vallow, calling him a vibrant and happy boy who had most of his childhood ahead of him. 
JJ is said to have taken a lot of time, effort, and energy to care for. This took away from Lori doing whatever she wanted. Blake says that it took away from her time with Chad Daybell. JJ also suffered the same heartbreak as Tylee when he lost his father, Charles Vallow. So JJ would also receive social security benefits. Now that Lori was a single parent, JJ was more difficult. The prosecution alleges that Lori didn't want to care for him, and she wanted his money. Now JJ is gone. Miss Blake now speaks about 49-year-old Tammy Daybell, a mother of five, a grandmother, and a computer whiz. Tammy was married to Chad Daybell, and the prosecution says that Lori wanted Chad to herself. She also wanted the money that would go to Chad as he was the beneficiary of his wife's life insurance. Now Tammy is gone. The prosecution states that Tylee had relocated from Arizona to Rexburg, Idaho with her mom on September 1st, 2019. Seven days later, on September 8, 2019, she is seen alive for the last time. June 9, 2020 would be the next date Tylee is seen, when her remains are discovered in a shallow grave on Chad Daybell's property. Miss Blake says that what investigators found could only be described as what was left of Tylee. Her body was now only a pile of bone and tissue, charred black from being burnt. Quote, that's what was left of this beautiful young woman, the defendant's daughter. Tylee's DNA is also said to have been found on a pickaxe and shovel located on Chad Daybell's property. Miss Blake now details the last known sightings of J.J. Vallow. On September 22, 2019, a witness sees Alex Cox carrying his nephew J.J., who appeared to be resting his head on Alex's shoulder asleep. J.J. would never be seen alive again. His remains were also discovered on June 9, 2020, in a shallow grave on Chad Daybell's property. J.J. was wrapped in garbage bags and covered in duct tape. The gray tape wrapped around his head, his hands, his arms, his legs, and his feet. At this point of the opening statements, a picture appears on the projector screen, showing the garbage bags containing JJ's body inside. Miss Blake tells the jury that this was a difficult scene to process that disturbed even the most seasoned detectives. Some of them had been holding on to hope that they might find these children alive. What they found was far from what they expected as the outcome in this case. Now we move on to Tammy Daybell. Miss Blake says that October 18, 2019 is the last date Tammy is seen alive by her son. That evening, he leaves to work, and she is now home alone with Chad Daybell. The next morning on October 9, 2019, just before 6 a.m., a 911 phone call is placed. Tammy has been found dead. She's cold and she's stiff, and when law enforcement arrives, they're informed that Chad has already moved Tammy's body. Now the projector screen shows a photo of Tammy's body post-mortem. While the prosecution states that she had no health problems, but at the time of her death, police had no idea that Chad had been carrying on an affair with Lori Vallow. They also did not know yet that Lori's kids were missing. So Tammy is buried without an autopsy. Miss Blake lets the jury know that the defendant was in Hawaii at the time Tammy died. 17 days after his wife's death, Chad and Lori are getting married on the beach in Hawaii, just two weeks after Tammy was laid to rest. 
And while Lori's kids are missing, this marriage now raised questions for those grieving Tammy's death and for those starting to worry about the whereabouts of JJ and Tylee. The prosecution states that just before Tylee is last seen alive, Lori had transferred Tylee's money from a J.P. Morgan bank account into her own bank account. This was done in August of 2019. Lori started receiving J.J.'s Social Security benefits just one month before he was last seen. They allege that Lori was using this money to fund her lifestyle. Miss Blake tells the jury that they will hear a lot of different dates of communication, texts, emails, and other evidence in this case. She says that the reason for so many dates is because of the timeline, dating all the way back to October of 2018, when Lori Vallow meets Chad Daybell for the first time. Lori had already read some of the religious books he authored, and she was a fan. That October, Lori traveled with her friends Melanie Gibb and Zulema Pastanius to St. George for a conference put on by Chad. The duo is said to have had an instant connection. They were flirting, they talked a lot, and on this first meeting, Miss Blake says that they decided they shared the same beliefs and that they had been married in a previous life. They told everyone they were meant to be together. Both Chad and Lori said that they were persons from the Bible before this life. They called themselves James and Elena. Chad would later write a book for Lori called The James and Elena Story. These writings mirrored true life events. The prosecution reminds the jury that it's important to remember that Chad and Lori were both married to other people at this time, and their spouses were both alive and well before the two of them meet. Quote, remember, she would remove any obstacle to get what she wants, and she wanted Chad Daybell. Communication between Chad and Lori became regular following October of 2018. The relationship bloomed quickly. By November of 2018, Chad had traveled to Arizona for a gathering that Lori held at her house, the house she shared with Charles Vallow. Lindsay Blake tells the jury that they will hear about how Lori and Chad soon start teaching their followers about the light and dark rating system. Lori said she could rate others with the help of Chad. But as their intentions grew more sinister, their teachings would evolve to fit the narrative. The couple would begin to say, quote, well, if they're dark, the evil entity will push the real person out and take over the body. The two then talked about how they would get rid of these evil spirits. Prayer and energy work would be cast towards that person. But Miss Blake says that the castings took place time and time again. However, they never seemed to work. So their teachings evolved. Now they say that a person can be so dark, they actually become a zombie. And once they're a zombie, Chad and Lori can not cast the evil spirit out of them. The prosecution states that the common theme at this point was that the body of this zombie had to be destroyed. Quote, the defendant and Chad used self-proclaimed religious beliefs to justify actions from an affair to murder. Now Miss Blake brings up Alex Cox, Lori's brother, who she alleges would do anything for Lori. When she uproots her life to run off to Rexburg, Idaho, Alex quit his job and moved with her. Quote, whatever she asked, he did. 
Lori began teaching him her newfound religious beliefs, and he was told that his purpose in this life was to protect Lori as her warrior. Eventually, Lori starts telling some of her followers that her own daughter, Tylee Ryan, was a dark spirit. There are messages to back this up, and Lori took no action when Tylee goes missing. There were no reports made, no missing posters were hung up, and nothing was done. The prosecution says this is similar to what Lori did when JJ later goes missing as well. There were no reports made, there were no missing persons posters hung up, and nothing was done. Lori had often complained about JJ's behavior in an effort to convince everyone that his body had in fact been taken over by an evil spirit. These witnesses believed what she told them. Her followers wanted her teachings to be true. Lindsay Blake tells the jury that they will hear testimony from April Raymond during this trial. She is an old friend of Lori's who recalls Lori divorcing Charles and telling him that he would need to figure out what to do with JJ. Lori is also said to have told others she was on a special mission to gather the 144,000 set to be saved when the world ends. She also explained that what she did here on Earth didn't count for her because she was a translated being. She would also tell others that they were in the translation process and Lori was convincing. But the truth behind Lori's rants is that her and Chad were using religious beliefs to convince those around them not to question their actions. What they were doing did not go hand in hand with their original teachings, so they would evolve their religious theories to support these actions. And because Lori deemed herself a translated being, she told others she did not have to repent because her actions on earth did not count. Miss Blake looks at the jury and tells them that they will hear about a time just after Lori and Alex moved to Rexburg. Alex is setting the Wi-Fi password, and he tells Lori that he set it to too many kids. Lori's response? Funny. The prosecution also tells the jury that they will hear about the many trips Lori went on following the disappearance of her children. One of these trips was a visit made to her niece, Melanie Boudreau, now known as Melanie Paolowski. During this trip, Zulema Pastinas comes over. Zulema, by the way, will later marry Alex Cox, and he dies at her home. Anyway, while Lori is on this trip, she decides to do a casting for Tammy Daybell, her boyfriend's wife. Lori says Tammy is an evil spirit. It's the same day that Tammy is gathering items out of the back of her car when she comes face to face with a masked man pointing a gun at her. Tammy starts screaming for her husband, Chad, unaware that he is likely a part of this scheme to end her life. Miss Blake says that there is a phone call made later that was overheard. Lori was on the phone with an unknown person and she was mad. She's quoted as saying, he can't do anything right. There are also phone calls placed between Lori and Chad Daybell that will be presented as evidence. It's said by the prosecution that not long after her Arizona trip, she travels to Missouri with her niece, Melanie P. In Missouri, they meet up with a woman named Aubrey. Miss Blake tells the jury that they will hear from this witness during the trial. And during this trip, Lori attempts another casting on Tammy. Her and Chad had made the decision that a dark spirit named Viola had taken over Tammy's body. 
Shortly after the Missouri trip, Lori travels with her niece, Melanie P., to Hawaii. Aubrey joins them, and this is when Tammy Daybell dies. And Miss Blake tells the jury that they won't ever hear anything about Lori's kids accompanying her on these trips because they were not there with her. They were missing. Lori is, however, spending their money on these trips, and she is using Tylee's phone to send money to her oldest son, Colby. So Tylee's phone was with Lori, but Tylee was not. Following Tammy's death, Lori quickly returns to Idaho. Miss Blake says that this is when she begins inserting herself into Chad's life as though Tammy never existed. Lori meets Chad's adult children, she is introduced to Chad's friends, and just a week after Tammy's death, she was introduced to Chad's neighbors. Witnesses recall that Chad and Lori could not keep their hands off of each other. One of Chad's acquaintances asks Lori if she has any kids. Chad answers for her, saying that she did have a young daughter who recently died. Before long, Chad and Lori are back in Hawaii, getting married on the beach on November 5th, 2019. Lori had already began looking for malachite rings as early as 2018. During the searches online, both of their spouses were alive and well. These were the rings exchanged on their wedding day. Soon after their marriage, Chad is inquiring about having Lori added to his life insurance policy. During this application, he indicates that there are no minor children who need to be added. The statement is made on a rental property application in Hawaii as well. Quote, it was just Lori and Chad, just the way they wanted. Following a tip, law enforcement eventually find themselves at 565 Pioneer Road in Rexburg, Idaho. They're looking for JJ Vallow. At this time, they have no idea that Tylee is also missing. It's Chad and Alex who are home, but police are able to get in contact with Lori later that day. Lori tells officers that JJ is in Arizona with her friend Melanie Gibb, but Miss Blake says there was a problem with that statement because Lori had told Melanie Gibb that JJ was with his grandmother, Kay Woodcock. And the problem with that is that Kay is the one who reported JJ missing to the police department in Rexburg. Quote, so where was JJ? Where was Tylee? Lori did not cooperate trying to locate her children, and by the time officers are back at her house, she has fled, moving to Hawaii with her new husband, Chad Daybell. Miss Blake says that while those two start their new life, law enforcement starts a nationwide search for Lori's kids. While Melanie Gibb had been asked by Chad not to talk to law enforcement, and if she did, to say JJ was with her, she just couldn't follow their directions this time. Lori had gone as far as asking Melanie to snap a picture of some kids and send it to law enforcement saying she had JJ. This didn't sit right with Melanie, so she makes a phone call to Chad and Lori, and she records this conversation. Lori will not say where JJ is, but she says that he is happy. She tells Melanie not to worry because she knows exactly where he is. Miss Blake then says, quote, I remind you, JJ was last seen September 22nd, 2019. This is December 2019. And I'll remind you how JJ was found. Yet her statement was, I know exactly where he is. When friends of the couple are confronted about Tammy's death, they indicate that they did exactly what they had to do. 
Miss Blake reminds the jury that Chad and Lori determined that Tammy was dark and that if casting does not work, then the body has to be destroyed. Quote, they did what they had to do to remove any obstacle in the way of getting exactly what they want. On December 11, 2019, Tammy is exhumed from her resting place in Springfield, Utah. Miss Blake says that the office of the Utah Medical Examiner found that Tammy died at the hands of another and her cause of death was asphyxiation. The day she is exhumed, Alex made a statement to his wife Zulema that he hopes he is not their fall guy. Miss Blake tells the jury that we may never know what he meant or what he knew because he died the next day on December 12, 2019. Quote, we do know there were conversations between Alex, Chad, and Lori about people being dark. The prosecution says that Chad and Alex's phones often pinged near each other, including on the dates that crimes are alleged to have happened. They say that they know when Tammy was confronted by a man in a mask and shot at, Alex's phone was in the area. And the only person that Alex knew in this area was Chad Daybell. The morning after the last date Tylee is known to be alive, Alex's phone pings on Chad Daybell's property close to where Tylee's remains are later found. Alex is said to be loyal to a fault and that he would do whatever they asked him to do. Miss Blake says, quote, We the state have the burden to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant is guilty. You will follow the judge's reasonable doubt instructions. She goes on to say that Lori is charged with multiple crimes. First degree murder of Tylee Ryan, her daughter. First degree murder of JJ Vallow, her son. Conspiracy to commit first degree murder of Tammy Daybell. And grand theft for taking the social security benefits. Quote, keep in mind that when we talk about the term conspiracy, it is a group of those people talking and deciding to commit a crime, meeting of the minds. Only one of them might take action. That means even if she didn't take action, if someone in the meeting did, then she would be guilty of conspiracy. At this point, a photo is shown on the projector screen of Tylee's remains. Miss Blake says all that was found of Tylee were her charred remains. Next, a photo comes onto the screen of little JJ's hands and arms bound by duct tape. Miss Blake states that JJ's hands were bound like this. She uses her own hands to show the jury, and then she goes on to say that they laid in front of his body. The next photo shown on screen is a photo of Tammy Daybell's hand post-mortem. Miss Blake says that Tammy, who was also known to be a computer whiz, never typed anything on the computer again. The last photo shown on screen is a close-up photo of Lori and Chad's hands, fingers interlaced, new wedding rings on. It's a photo from their wedding day. While Tylee and JJ laid in their shallow graves and Tammy's family grieved her death, Chad and Lori were getting married on a beach in Hawaii. Now, Miss Blake thanks the jury for their willingness to serve, and she lets them know that she recognizes they have a big task here. She says that being on the jury is the most important job in this courtroom. She reminds them that this is set to be a long trial and that they will have to sit through a lot of testimony and evidence. She asks them to apply their common sense and reasonableness in weighing the evidence. Quote, We are confident that if you do that, 
you will return a verdict of guilty in this case. The courtroom goes silent before Judge Boyce asks the defense if they wish to give an opening statement at this time. And they do. So now it's Jim Archibald's turn to stand up and make a statement on behalf of the defense. He starts by thanking the jurors for serving on this case and helping solve it. Since he knows a lot about them following a week of jury selection, he wants to introduce himself. Jim says he has been an attorney since 1991, both in private practice and as a public defender. Quote, over the past 32 years, I have done a lot of both. He states that he has been assigned to 27 murder cases over the course of his career, and they're difficult cases. Jim says he was assigned to Lori's case as a public defender, and he's being paid for by the taxpayers. He jokingly says, quote, so thank you for paying your taxes. He goes on to say that this is one of the most difficult cases to hear about, and that he is here to make sure the defendant applies their constitutional rights and that the government does their job. He is provided to make sure that if there is any reasonable doubt, it is put into place. Jim tells the jury that he is assisted by John Thomas. If you have listened to my other podcast, True Crime Exposed, you might remember John Thomas from an episode there, episode one. He is the public defender that helped free wrongfully convicted Christopher Tapp. I will admit that he was a badass in that case, and I loved the work he did. I hate that he has to defend Lori, but we do need to keep in mind that public defenders and private defense attorneys are necessary. In fact, they're put in place to protect us, the people. Sometimes they are assigned to awful cases such as this one. Jim says that John has been an attorney since 1999, and he also has experience with public law offices and public defender offices. They have been assisted by Brandon Hobbs, who is an investigator that helped them investigate this case. Jim says that being a defense lawyer isn't always a popular job, and he thanks the jury for being respectful to him, before letting them know that eight years ago his law office was bombed. He uses this to explain that some people are really upset by what he does for a living. Quote, so I thank you for helping decide on the facts of this case without emotion overriding your decision. He tells the jury that the state just told them about their case. Now he will tell them about the case from the defense's perspective. He introduces Lori to them, saying she was born and raised in California. She's lived in many states, including California, Texas, Arizona, Hawaii, and then Idaho for less than a month before the events being presented in this trial took place. He says that Lori is one of six children. She has suffered the loss of her older sister and brother, but Lori believes in life after death. He tells this jury that Lori believes she will see her children again. He explains her as a hardworking beautician, a mother of three, a stepmother of two, and a grandmother of two. Jim says that people were attracted to Lori's pretty smile, her vivacious personality, and her loving nature. People just loved being around her. Lori's oldest son, Colby Ryan, was born in 1999 in the state of Texas, and he now lives in Arizona with two children of his own that Lori is grandma to. Her oldest daughter, Tylee Ryan, was born in 2002 in the state of Texas. Jim says that Tylee was a ray of sunshine, but that she had health problems. 
He said she had pancreatitis and that this was a painful and debilitating disease. Even with these problems, he says that Tylee did the best she could. Following Lori's divorce to Tylee's dad, Joe Ryan, she endured a painful custody battle before meeting her next husband, Charles Vallow. Jim says that Charles was smitten with Lori. Each of them had two kids of their own, and the blended family would last more than a decade. Jim describes Lori as a good and responsible mother to her two children. In fact, she was such a good mother that her sister-in-law, Kay Woodcock, wanted her to adopt her grandson, a child with special needs. Jim explains that JJ's own parents could not take care of him due to their personal issues, and that apparently Kay Woodcock couldn't take care of him either. So she asked her brother and Lori to adopt JJ. So the child who was born in Louisiana was adopted by the Vallows and became known as JJ Vallow. This is Lori's third child. Jim says that the evidence will show that Lori was a beautiful wife, a kind and loving mother to her children, and that she had a particular interest in the end of times. Jim explains to the jury that they might recognize the end of times from the Bible. Quote, Some people could care less about biblical prophecies. Some people care a lot about it. Thankfully, in this country, you get to choose. Evidence will show that when Lori met Chad Daybell, her beliefs began to change. That's where you come into this story. We haven't been able to agree on what happened. So how did these children die? Who was involved? When did it happen? Where did it happen? Why did it happen? The judge has read you the allegations in the charges. I'm going to read part of the allegations again. Jim then goes on to talk about the charge of conspiracy. He says that this charge involved his client, Lori Daybell, as well as her husband, Chad Daybell, her deceased brother, Alex Cox, and other co-conspirators, both known and unknown. Jim says that Chad is not on trial here because he will be tried at a later date. Alex is not on trial here because he is deceased, and he says he doesn't know much about the other co-conspirators. Quote, your role here is to focus on Lori. Jim explains the first-degree murder charges, which claim she did aid and abed, or if she was not present, then she did advise, encourage, command, or compel another to commit the crime. He says, quote, so this charge is, did she kill, or did she assist, or did she encourage, or did she command? In other words, this charge is saying that they're not sure what happened, yet they want you to be sure. Same with count three and count four. Did she conspire? Did she do the murder? Or did she talk about it? Or did she do something about it? So that's the challenge here for you, is you're going to be given all these alternatives and you're going to have to be convinced beyond reasonable doubt. I didn't make up the term, neither did our judge, but that is our law. Every defendant is presumed to be innocent. This means two things. First, that the state must prove the crime beyond a reasonable doubt. This doubt may arise from a question about the evidence or the lack of evidence. You are reasonable people here. If after considering all the evidence or lack of evidence and you have a reasonable doubt of Lori's guilt, you must find her not guilty. Jim continues by explaining that there is something called an alibi. Lori has a filed alibi in this case. 
They say that she was in her own apartment when J.J. Vallow and Tylee Ryan died in the apartment of Alex Cox in Rexburg, Idaho. As for Tammy's death, Lori was not even in the state. She was in Hawaii. Jim says that many jurors were excused from this case because of the pre-trial information in the media, but he reminds the jury that there has been no evidence presented to them at this time, so his client is still presumed innocent to them. Jim says that the media tainted the opinions of the community, and that is not evidence. Quote, at the start of this trial, Lori has a clean slate. You are here to focus on what she did, on what Chad Daybell did, on what Alex Cox did. You're here to decide if there was even a conspiracy. When there is lack of evidence, the law calls it not guilty. You said you were fair and impartial. You said you would have an open mind and not judge. Based on what you said, you will find her not guilty. Inside the courtroom I sat, heads were shaking in silence, shocked at all that they had just heard. With that, opening statements come to a conclusion. The prosecution is now set to present their case. On day one, the prosecution will call witnesses Kay Woodcock and Brandon Bordeaux to the stand. Each witness was cross-examined by the defense. We will recap these testimonies in episode two. This podcast was produced by True Crime Exposed and is hosted by me, Kayla Waters. Please leave us a five-star written review as we are a new podcast and help spread the word.